Okay, so today I'm thinking through an issue here that is focused on my testing process. Um, and the reason I'm focusing on this is because my whole system of me coming up with something that's uh, not only easy to do, but affordable, is sort of riding on this. Not, not to say that it's ready to break completely, but let me just let me just get some more detail in here so you know what I'm talking about. So the short version, I, I'm going to try to start with a summary when possible. There are times when I'm doing brainstorming and it's not possible, but I'm going to start at this point by saying what my goal is for, you know, not for what the solution is because I don't know that yet, but my goal is to be able to have figured out a system for all three of the major sensor crops. So 1x, which is full frame, uh, 1.5 and 1.6x, which would be Super 35 and APS-C, and then 2x, which is micro four-thirds. So what I'm talking about is my, I've got three different kit uh, levels. So the first kit level I call minimal, and the second is basic, and the third is um, advanced. And so the definition of these levels, if you've watched some of my videos that have touched on that, um, this is going to be more detail about about how I came up with this and, and why and how it helps people save money, is if I figure out what I call plays, um, sort of like sports plays in a you know football coach, he's got a playbook or a basketball coach, if I figure out plays for a lot of the common scenarios that we run into in, in filmmaking, there's, there's going to be a good starting point for people that I can say, okay, if you're in, a, for instance, an interview situation where you have one person, it's always going to be two cameras, you know, because that's my, that's sort of my thing is always shoot with two cameras at least. But then what lens do I use for the tight shot? And what lens do I use for the wide shot or the medium wide for an interview? Well, the way I go about that is to say, um, start out with a clock. A clock um, system is what I call it. And the clock system means you can determine the position of the camera, the lights, the microphones, all of that based on a consistent uh, you know, way to, to speak about it. So I put the camera at 6 o'clock and the subject at the center. So like on a clock dial, you have the hands coming out from the center. That's where the subject is. So the person being interviewed would be there. Or if you have a product you're shooting, so I always split it up into person, place, or thing. So if it's a person, they're at the center of the dial. If it's a place, that's a little bit different because when you're shooting a place, it's it's sort of uh, inside out. You have, that's the surrounding, that's the background, and you don't want to pretend that's the center of the clock dial necessarily. So uh, a place doesn't lend itself to this clock dial method, but... Then a thing, a thing could be a subject that you're shooting still life of, uh, or it could be something that's moving. But the point is what you're focused on, the subject of your shot, typically is where your autofocus point is going to be as well. But 
that is the center of this clock in this system. And the system is used so that I can create these consistent plays and I can communicate these. Um, if you watch my YouTube channel, I am starting to use a whiteboard to draw this diagram, sort of like a coach would do. And on this clock, with the camera at 6 o'clock, which is, you know, straightforward out from the subject. So on this clock, I have a 6.6 foot uh, average subject to camera distance. So that's 2 meters. So if, if the camera is at 6 o'clock and the um, subject is in the center of the dial on the clock, that means all around that clock dial you have a 6.6-foot uh, distance out, right? So your radius on this circle of the clock is always 6.6 .6 feet or 2 meters. So that's, that's an easy way to picture this in your mind. Now, the good thing about that distance of about 6.6 .6 feet or 2 meters is that that is um, just outside the, you know, if it, an average five foot, 11, six foot man stretches his arms out straight, not like the Da Vinci, you know, Leonardo Da Vinci circle with the guy inside of it. His arms are up, but at about 45 degrees up. But if you stretch your arms straight out, it's a, it's around six and a half feet. So if you figure that, if you want to take a uh, tape measure, that, that would work as well. But if you just, if, if you're on a, shoot and you want to be uh, done quickly, just spread your arms out. One arm doesn't quite touch the camera. And then the other arm, of course, with social distancing, you're not really going to want to touch the person in their face anyway. So what you're just doing is you're trying to get it, that space in between the camera and the subject is at least that. So when you get that distance, what you now have is a way to recommend a focal length. And why that's so easy, or makes it so easy, is that you can state the millimeters. You can state exactly what the focal length is. And there's, I have a little bit of a range. But to get a standard tight shot for an interview, I've, I've got uh, micro four-thirds, which is 2x crop, at about 35 millimeters at that 6.6 .6 feet. Gives you what I consider a, a standard-looking a uh, tight shot for a single person interview. And then on a uh, 1.5 or 1.6 crop, it's about a 50 millimeter. And then for full frame, it's about 70 millimeter. So, and you can fudge that. Um, just keep in mind, I know that there's no 70 millimeter prime lens. Uh, so, uh, I don't think there is anyway. So you're going to probably want to use an 85 millimeter if you're using a prime. But a lot of the time, if you've got a 24 to 70 or a, you know, even a really inexpensive 35 to 70, you have that ability to, to hit the 70 millimeter uh, mark on a full frame camera uh, very easily. And it's, it's a side note here. It's just, it's more convenient if you have a lens that starts or stops at one of these recommended focal lengths because you ha if you have to do the setup over and over again you simply go to the end of the zoom or the beginning of the zoom and you're all set so that's my recommendation for the tight shot on a one-person interview when you use this system the clock system 
with the subject at the center and the camera at six o'clock at 6.6 feet or two meters. And so then when you do that, you have a, a way to uh, recommend the focal length. So that brings me now to testing all three crop sizes, so, or all three sensor formats. So I've been using Micro Four Thirds for a few years uh, exclusively. Uh, pri prior to that, I've had a, you know, an APS-C Canon sensor, um, an APS-C, or sorry, a Nikon DX, which is Super 35 1.5 crop sensor. And so I've had exposure to, um, uh, no pun intended, but I've had exposure to those two crop sizes. And of course, back when I shot film, everything was full frame. So I was, you know, uh, got used to the focal length um, story with, with full frame. And honestly, I like, I don't, let's see, for low light reasons, I understand why full frame is important. But I like the compositional opportunities with a 1.5 crop sensor, the best out of the three. But I realized that I'm trying to come up, if I'm trying to come up with a system that works for anyone, I have to also come up with the full frame equivalent and the micro four thirds equivalent. And in doing so, I really have found some good workarounds for micro four thirds. Um, and they almost all involve using a 0.71 focal reducer. So you can you can purchase one of those from, um, there's a couple of companies, uh, two or three now, that you can purchase a, a 0.71 reducer from. I know uh, the Metabones company is the only one I know of that has a 0.64. But I prefer the 0.71, and it matches my whole uh, scheme, and it makes it a lot easier to figure out some things. Uh, for instance, if you have the same lens on a, um, let's say you have a 50 millimeter, and you take that same lens and you put a 1.4 teleconverter on it, that brings you to that around 70 millimeter spot that you would want to use for full frame. So you can actually take a 50 millimeter, put a 1.4 uh, focal reducer, no, not a focal reducer, a 1.4 teleconverter, we're going the other way here. So. That's an interesting way to think about it, is the teleconverter is a focal increaser, and then the uh, focal reducer is sort of like a, uh, op the opposite of a uh, teleconverter. If you've never heard of a focal reducer before, that maybe is an easy way to think about it. Uh, just go ahead and you know do a Google search for focal reducer, and you'll see what it's doing. So it's increasing the field of view of a full-frame lens, uh, but it's only... It's only for a micro four thirds or sometimes for a 1.5 crop uh, camera to be used with. But take a look at the whole picture here, the big picture. And the good news is I have a very simple way to go from micro four thirds to APS-C or 1.6, uh, which would be APS-C, uh, and then 1.5, which is uh, called Super 35, or for Nikon, it's called DX format. And then to full frame, and you simply, if you were using a 50 millimeter, as I mentioned on the full frame, you put a 1.4 teleconverter on it. You get your 70 millimeters for the tight shot. <laughs> and I'm almost done with this part. Sorry if this is a little boring, but when, it's, when you're doing this in practice, it's really neat because you only have to buy one 50 millimeter lens, a full frame lens. And then if you want to get the same um, cropping on all three different uh, formats, 
you use either a teleconverter for full frame, the lens by itself on Super 35 or APS-C, and then on Micro Four Thirds, here's what's really neat to finish this story, is this part, is that 0.71 brings you down to that 35, approximately 35 millimeter focal length that I recommend for the tight shot on Micro Four Thirds. So I actually use a 50 millimeter full frame lens on a focal reducer of 0.71, and that's my tight shot for Micro Four Thirds. That's what I've been using for, for years. And it, it creates a really inexpensive um, 35, 1.4-ish, even less than 1.4 sometimes. So it's a very good uh, way to save money and still get great optical quality, especially because you've got a full-frame lens that's starting out to be, a, a prime lens that's starting out very sharp. And with the focal reducer, it, it handles it very well, even with the, the Viltrox that's a less expensive model. So, sorry about the side note, but just giving you an idea of the versatility of what I'm, uh, these templates or these plays I'm calling them, and the versatility is that I'm creating one version for Micro Four Thirds, 2x, you know, 2x crop, uh, one version for 1.5, 1.6 crop, and one version for full frame, which is 1x crop. So, that, you you might think, well, that's that's kind of complicated. Well, in practice, and this is what I have to say, I have to uh, say this to people so they don't get discouraged, and that is, it is easier done than said. And that's a saying I came up with because I know that I tend to make things sound complicated, but when you try it, I always want it to be as easy as possible. And so you try that and you, you figure out, wow, that's really easy. That sounded difficult, that sounded complicated, but it was pretty easy. So I will work on making it sound easier too, but just know... Um, my systems are focused on making it easy to do. So why am I mentioning this whole 1.5 or, you know, 2x, 1.5 and 1x? What, why am I mentioning this whole scenario for testing purposes? Well, when I, um, when I started to go into creating these uh, guides, which I'm still working on, so if you go to my website, silverlightphotoco.com, You'll see coming soon on these uh, these plays in the playbook, and I'm building up this template. I'm building up uh, the information structure, but it's not ready. It's not for sale at this time. So if you think about it, it's it's more um, in the stage of development and not ready for release. So I'm open to feedback. I I, I want your guys' ideas. If you're on my Facebook page, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, Facebook page as well. But if you're on my YouTube channel, you can leave comments, help me uh, in this uh, idea development process. But here's the end result. The end result is when we get these plays in the playbook, it's really neat because you can be on a micro four thirds, you can be on an APS-C, you could be on a full frame uh, sensor camera, and it'll work. And so it's triple work as I'm going along, but it, I think it's really going to make it uh, accessible to everyone uh, once we get this fig figured out. So now, equipment-wise, as I'm testing, as I mentioned, I've had Micro Four Thirds, and I've um, I just recently reacquired a um, APS-C. Actually, no, it was an Icon, so it's a 1.5 crop, 
So DX format, otherwise known as the Super 35 uh, crop of 1.5. And now I'm considering getting a full frame camera. So this is something that is really pushing my envelope for um, my budget recommendation uh, mentality. Because here I am telling people, don't buy a bigger camera than you need. Don't buy a bigger sensor than you need. And there's a lot of reasons for that. The reasons include the bigger the camera, the bigger the optics. That is, the bigger the lens. And that means more weight in your pack, and that means um, more strain on your back, and that means uh, hopefully not more trips to the car, because my mentality concerning that is don't take more than one trip to the car, if you, if you can afford that. And so... All of this adds up. If you have a full-frame camera, everything, the lens, the tripod, the stabilizing uh, method, it has to be bigger, heavier duty, all that. So am I ready to just say, okay, here's my full-frame version of my plan. Here's my crop sensor version. Here's my micro four-thirds version. And have three completely different systems. I don't think that's what I recommend. And if you're not familiar with my two-camera system where there's a, two cameras on one cage, uh, take a look at my YouTube channel and watch a couple of the videos that mention that. Um, it will be briefly mentioned in a couple of the videos, and in the future I hope, hope to dedicate an entire episode to the multiple-camera uh, rig. But take a look at my YouTube channel just to get the visual of that because it's a single-camera cage with one camera mounted on top of it, where no, normally a you know an LCD monitor or something like that would go, and on the bottom is where a camera is supposed to go, is one camera, and then the other one, again, is on top of the cage. So it's very convenient, and it makes it so you only need one tripod. But the issue is, the larger the camera, the heavier this whole thing gets. So as you are... Walking around with this, it can get pretty heavy. I've done this with micro four-thirds cameras, and it is doable. Now, I try to keep the lenses, um, I try to make them, you know, not too big. In fact, I have the uh, Panasonic 12 to 35 f2.8. It's a small lens, but it's fairly dense, so it's a fairly heavy lens. And I don't prefer to put that on the top camera because the top camera is on a ball head. And the ball head, if the camera's too heavy, you have to really tighten it down or it moves, right? Now, it's, it depends which ball head you have, of course, which is going to be an important point. But, and I might even move to a monopod head, which is is not going to have a ball head movement. It will just have an um, basically up and down axis. And those are usually sturdier as well. But the point is, that camera that's mounted on the top needs to be lighter weight, the lens, and the camera itself. So, not completely a featherweight, but I'm just saying, I don't think, uh, with my arm strength, that I could handle holding two full-frame cameras on one rig. And this might be why some people, when they hear me say, always shoot with two cameras, they they sort of go into shock, and, and they say, well, how's that possible? You know, because they might be shooting with a, let's say, a two red cameras. And of course, there's no way 
you're going to be carrying two red cameras uh, handheld on a cage uh, with two cameras on it. It's, they're just too big, right? But when you go um, into the smaller cameras, the Micro Four Thirds format has a ton of cameras that work. And the, the one I like the best is the Panasonic GX85 because it has in-body stabilization. And why is that important? Well, it's important because when it's on the top of that cage, there's a tendency for a little bit of wobble, even if you're all tightened up on your ball head and everything. There's just, depending on how sturdy your camera cage is, depending on how tight all the joints are, there's a possibility that there's going to be a little play. And so the in-body stabilization I have found on the GX85 is so good, it takes away that extra uh, wobble, even with a non-stabilized lens. So that's what is really great about that. So where am I going with all this? Well, what I'm trying to figure out is, for testing, I know I need uh, each format of camera. I know I need a Micro Four Thirds 2X, I know I need an APS-C or Nikon DX, you know, or, and I know I need a full frame. But for recommendation, what do I do? And then can I sort of figure out a way to save money at the same time and try to double do double duty of testing a real scenario that someone else would be in and not just my scenario of having all three of these formats? So I have a little bit of a sort of a hunch of what I would be comfortable with and let me just tell you, and hopefully this will be uh, still user-friendly for other people. So, should I tell you the secret, the idea first, or should I lead you on? I think I'm. This is going a little uh, past the the time I was hoping to uh, be at this point, but I'm going to just give you the short version first, so you know where I'm going. What if my recommendation? was that you, as a media producer, as a content creator, as a filmmaker, whatever you want to call it, that I recommend you have more than one format. I just, I just feel really good about this recommendation because I know that people have typically had a war, you know, between sensor sizes. They've People who love Micro Four Thirds say, I'm never going to full frame. And then the people who are full frame enthusiasts, I would never use a Micro Four Thirds camera. But I think a great way to deal with all of this division would be for people to have both. Not necessarily all three formats. So if you have a Micro Four Thirds, you may not need a DX format and a full frame. If you do, maybe that's fine. But the reason I think it would be so healthy for people to have, you know, experience in the other format, the one that they're typically uh, maligning or, you know, if you get all these people fighting about sensor sizes, well, I think it would be good experience so they could see the viewpoint of the other side and they would say, oh, I see what you're talking about. And then now if you're a Micro Four Thirds only user, um, you don't have all the benefits of full frame. If you're in a full frame only, then you don't have all the benefits of micro four thirds. And there are a ton of benefits that are exclusive to one or the other. 
I wrote an entire book about this, actually, and I'm kind of changing my mentality because if you want to check the book out, it's on Amazon, and it's called Will Micro Four Thirds Survive? And if you take the, take that uh, and look at it from the standpoint of my concept right now, add it to what I'm saying right now, I think it's a good it's a good idea. But so, uh, will micro four thirds survive? And the second part, uh, the subtitle says why I think that small format is still a uh, big win for beginning filmmakers. So that book was written when I was an only micro four thirds person. But I think that my recommendation is now do both. Now, it's also because I've been watching some of the size, uh, the uh, full-frame cameras come down in price to a point where I can actually recommend it budget-wise. A couple of just, this is going to uh, be obsolete probably by the time you listen to this, but at the time, the Sony A7 version 2 is around $800 used. And that's a good deal because it's always been over 1000 It's been, you know, it's a great camera. I think it... Uh, probably retailed around uh, 2000 to start with for, for USD. So if you talk about um, a full-frame camera versus a micro four-thirds, then you get you get all this arguing going on. And, and why, you know, it'd be great to not have all that arguing. So my recommendation, I think, is do both. And here's why. And here's how it fits into this whole testing thing. And here's how it hopefully will benefit... Um, everyone who, who buys uh, the lessons that I'm working on creating. And that is, Micro Four Thirds has a lot of benefits, such as if you're using a telephoto lens, uh, like a 300 millimeter, on a Micro Four Thirds, you have a closer crop. So if you're doing some sort of outdoor coverage, um, such as some sports and, you know, just coverage outdoors where you're not really close to the subject, then having that... 600 millimeter equivalent crop is really effective. And if, if you uh, take a look at the largest full frame lens that's uh, commonly used by professionals, it's a 600 millimeter. And that just indicates that's around the focal length of the crop uh, on a full frame sensor that they feel they need. Now, occasionally there will be some guy who buys a 1000 millimeter or 1200 millimeter or something like that for whatever specific purpose, but 600 millimeter is sort of where lenses top out for full frame. So on a micro four thirds camera, you can buy a very, very inexpensive uh, 70 to 300 uh, full frame lens and used on a micro four thirds sensor, it becomes a crop equivalent of about 600. Now, remember a crop equivalent is not an optical equivalent because the optical properties of a 300 are different than a 600. And I personally think that it's an, it actually is worse. Uh, optically, at 600, you have a lot of problems because there's so little depth of field and so much compression of the, of the field that it looks weird, but also it's very hard to retain focus. So accurate focus is super important if you're using a 600 millimeter on a full-frame camera. And so... A 300 millimeter, a 70 to 300, um, on a micro four thirds camera is going to get you an equivalent crop. 
to a 600 on a full frame. And that is so, it's just perfect. I've, I've tested it in, um, uh, for little league sports, such as baseball on a smaller field, and it covered everything I needed. On a larger field, I don't think it would be enough to get everyone on the field from, from anywhere on the field. But it is a good tool for most situations that we, um, people who are not a professional sports shooter going all the way across the football field or all the way across the uh, baseball or soccer field, whatever. It is a good focal length, I think, and it does most of what needs to be done for a telephoto lens. So that's an advantage of micro four thirds. But on a full frame camera, it's a 35 millimeter. It's considered, still considered wide angle. So the advantage there for full frame is you have, it's, it's more um, of a neutral lens. That is, it's a non-distortive lens that you can use for a medium wide angle. And when I say non-distortive, I mean that, you know, a non-distortive lens, I think it's the optimal focal length is around 42.5, something around there, 41, 42. And they say a 50 millimeter is very close to a lens that does not distort. That means it does not in introduce wide angle distortion and it doesn't introduce telephoto compression. So both of those affect what I call the sense of reality. So if you, you want to remember the scene as your eyes saw it, then a 42 uh, 0.5 millimeter is around the the most accurate focal length for that purpose. But when you go to micro four, micro four thirds format and you have to use a really ultra wide lens to get a moderate wide angle, um, you know, you have to use a 12 millimeter to get around a 24 millimeter crop. It's It's a little tough to maintain that sense of reality when you've got a wide-angle distortion to deal with. And what I mean by wide-angle distortion is that a wide-angle works by... Um, I'm not going to give the scientific way it does this, but what's in the middle of the frame is smaller, and what's on the outside or the edges of the frame is wider. So it's a little strange, and, and you, you can see this occurring if you watch footage of a car driving by to your side. So... The car is very small when they're in the center of the frame, and then as they come toward the edge of the frame, they sort of stretch, you know, you've probably observed that, and then they zoom by. So it feels like the car is just increasing in speed as it comes closer to the edge of the frame. That is wide-angle distortion. Also, if you notice in a um, non-moving object that the items on the side of the frame are are bigger than they are in real life, and then the items in the middle of the frame are smaller than they are in real life, that's also because of wide-angle distortion. So unfortunately, that is sort of a, uh, at this time, optically, in, in the design world, it's a requirement because that's how we expand the space. So wide-angle is a, um, let's see, full-frame has the benefit of better integrity with wide-angle, and, and I'm not saying you can't push full frame to be distorted. You can get a super wide for full frame, and then you're, you're ending up looking similar to uh, the distortion of a micro four-thirds wide angle. But you have the option of using a fairly non-distortive wide angle 
on full frame. So that's good news for full frame, bad news for micro four thirds. There are pros and cons. I can go back and forth. Um, having a smaller camera, of course, is a benefit uh, that has mostly been on the micro four thirds side. But now here come full frame cameras that have as small as possible of a structure, um, especially the Sony cameras and even the new Sigma. So that's good news. Now how heavy those are, I haven't purchased one. So will that be small enough to fit on the top of a camera cage so I could put that on the top of my bracket and not just on the bottom? So if I'm going to recommend people use both formats, the first thing I would say, based on the current size and weight of full frame cameras right now, most of the time being bigger than micro four thirds, I would say your full frame camera should go on the bottom of the bracket. So take a look again at that video or the pictures um, of that on my uh, YouTube channel or even on my website. The homepage has a picture of that two camera bracket. You've got enough space on the bottom for a full frame camera. And then on the top, that's where you need the smaller, lighter camera, and especially one that has in-body stabilization. You can still put a full-frame camera on top and on bottom, but now you've got two problems. You've got extra cost because now you've got to buy two full-frame cameras instead of one. And there's where I'm kind of forming a recommendation here. Now, I have always said that the easiest way to get good color, accurate color, and to match cameras is to have two of, the, two of the same camera. And I still believe that. It's something that I... It saves a lot of time in production. So if you can, get two of the same camera. But now I'm starting to look at this idea here of I know some people are going to have one full-frame camera. And they may not have the money to go out and buy a second. But I would recommend in that situation, if you're going to have a second or third camera... Go buy some Micro Four Thirds cameras, especially the Panasonic GX85 or even the G85. But the GX85 is pretty small. And use those because they have the in-body stabilization on the top of your cage. So one or two more cameras, now you've got a total of two or three cameras on one cage. And I know you're not going to be carrying it around with three cameras necessarily, but with two you can. So now, is this a solution? Take a micro four-thirds camera, put it on top of the cage, put your full-frame camera on the bottom. There's another reason for that currently, that is with the current equipment on the used market that I'm recommending. And that is a lot of these full-frame cameras that are becoming a good deal, like the Canon 6D is around, I've seen them for around $450, believe it or not. That's amazing. And then the Sony a7 II, well, that has in-body stabilization, but um, so it's not going to match this point I'm making here. But a lot of the good deals in full-frame cameras don't have stabilization. In fact, a lot of the good deals in used Canon cameras don't have image stabilization because Canon just introduced uh, sort of their first serious attempt at stabilization on the R5 and the R6. So that means that most of the deals on cameras don't have image stabilization. And my system certainly works better with image stabilization in in body and on lens, 
because you've got two cameras on one cage and the top one especially needs that stabilization. But if you think about the fact that the camera on the bottom, if you're in your studio shooting YouTube, um, it's all locked down, it's on a heavy-duty tripod, you don't need stabilization in that scenario. So that's where I started to think maybe this is okay to start recommending cameras without image stabilization, not for the camera you mount on the top of the cage, but for the camera that's on the bottom. And then primarily for use in the studio and not so much in the field because I would still recommend people get um, an image stabilized camera for both the top and the bottom cameras. But here's where we get into reality versus what, you know, reality meaning what most people have versus what I'm recommending. I'm recommending two Panasonic GX85s as your kit that you that you walk around with on the road and that you put both those cameras on this uh, smaller version of the cage and because they're both stabilized it does really well. But I realize some people are not going to go out and buy two GX85s especially when they love full frame and they don't ever want to leave full frame so I'm going to say buy at least one. I would buy two. They're only $300 each used so for the price of a second full frame body you could certainly get two but if you have a full frame camera I recommend if you're going to add a second or third camera I recommend trying a Panasonic GX85 that will give you the ability to mount that second camera on top because the in-body stabilization is so good and then it will introduce you to the micro four-thirds world and then you can have personal experience and and say, okay, I see the pros, I see the cons, and that, and that will help you to um, speak in a way on YouTube that might help the Micro Four Thirds people feel like, okay, you know, their case is not completely, <laughs> completely out of, out of uh, reason. And so, Micro Four Thirds on top, full frame on bottom, that's the recommendation I'm starting to lean towards. Um, we'll go through the cost and effect on this after I get a chance to test it and take a look if you haven't um, at the current prices of full frame bodies if you're on micro four thirds there are some good deals coming up the Canon 60 as I mentioned the um, the Sony a7 II you can also go back to an a7 version 1 if you want to I haven't looked at the video footage from the version 1 the a7 II has good good quality it's very neutral something you can do a lot of color grading stylize it yourself later but take a look and then if you're on a full frame system right now and you're considering you you need another camera but you don't want to spend much at all uh, try a Panasonic GX85 uh, put a focal reducer from Viltrox on there it's an, about an $80 purchase approximately if you can afford the Metabones do that but then you've got a, a system with two cameras and if let's say if you're on a Nikon system you can buy the focal reducer that has Nikon mount. Do that. If you are on a Canon system, there's a version from uh, for a Canon mount. If you're on a Sony system, I haven't looked into that. I don't know if there's a Sony 2 Micro Four Thirds speed booster. Uh, check that out. But either way, you can adapt almost any lens to a Micro Four Thirds body. So whether you're going to be using it as a focal reducer that is optically increasing the amount of light or not 
that's a question. But even a 1.8 is decent on uh, a straight adapter when you put it on the Micro Four Thirds camera. So don't worry, you're going to be able to fit any lens with an adapter onto that Micro Four Thirds camera. You'll be fine in that area, no matter what system you're coming from. Yeah, even if you're coming from a, a micro, uh, sorry, a M42 screw mount, there is an adapter <laughs> to go to Micro Four Thirds from pretty much any lens that's ever been created. And so that's the good news. And you'll, you'll have a lot of fun with that. So you can pick up uh, deals on eBay or whatever and to get a few, uh, you know, some good lenses for that Micro Four Thirds body. So give it a try if you're looking at the $300 price range to add another camera. One thing I will say about the GX85, uh, this is just to end this episode here, a tip, if you do go pick that up, the battery life is bad. It's not, it's not going to last very long. So my workaround is I buy a battery replacement that is a, a fake battery that converts it to an AC adapter. So now you've got um, a way to plug that into a power bank. And then what you're going to need for that is a 5 volt to nine or 8 or 9 volt up converter. And those are available in kits with the battery adapter as well. But take a look, make sure you get the right one. And then also your power bank, you have to test it. The power bank needs to be able to stay on. So once you turn it on, sometimes those power banks go, they turn off if they're not sensing that they're being used or something like that. You need a power bank that stays on. And then the last little tidbit is you need to set the, you need to turn the mechanical shutter off. So you need to set the GX85, the Panasonic GX85 to silent mode. And that's important because when you set white balance, if you have the battery adapter, sometimes it doesn't supply exactly enough power and it, it will shut off the camera. So that's my trick, is turn it on to silent mode, which engages the electronic shutter and doesn't allow the mechanical shutter. So, and I'm talking for use for, on, for video use. If you're just doing still camera or still work, then um, that's not really the focus of this, um, of my podcast, etc. But if you are doing still work, you want the mechanical shutter, just put the battery back in the camera and turn the mechanical shutter back on. But if you're doing video work, you don't need that mechanical shutter, turn it on silent mode and it will take care of that problem with the camera losing power when you do try to set the white balance manually. That's it, everyone. This is a brainstorming session. Hope, um, I'm thinking maybe I'm going to start labeling these as a brainstorming session so that if you're um, not into going through this process of, you know, kind of coming along with me in the development of this a system I'm creating that you can just skip over these if you uh, don't want to go through the entire thought process. But I thought this would be helpful to people who might be only on a micro four thirds format or only on a full frame to kind of think about the idea of having both. I think it would be great uh, just as a learning experience, um, and so and I think it would create a lot of a lot more unity in the in the camera in the camera world. There's so much uh, fighting between sensor. Uh, loyalties, and I think it would be great if we just all said, "Hey, let's just try both." So I think that's that's uh, my recommendation as it is. And if I further develop this idea, I'll let you know why I was wrong. So <laughs> thank you all again, and I hope you have a good day.